I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. This episode is brought to you by Digital Ocean. Let's go. Welcome back to your first million. This is Arlen, and I'm delighted to be here. I am excited about this episode, y'all. Jewel Burks. Jewel Burks. She was one of the very first people I wanted to uh, interview for this. I had her in mind when I thought of this podcast series, and she actually said yes months ago, and then I had to postpone it because of travel and all that. So was over the moon to be able to sit down with Jewel, an old friend, in New Orleans during Essence Fest, actually at the very end of Essence Fest, and have a chat with her about this. Now, Jewel Burks is a an entrepreneur. She is uh, now an angel investor, and you'll learn why and how on the, in this interview. But I've known Jewel probably since 2014, something like that. Yeah, it was 2014 because I remember talking to her while I was sitting in a comfort inn in Pearland, Texas, where I used to share a hotel room with my mom for several months and I had no money. And we were always worried about where we're going to sleep the following night. And I had started reaching out to all these companies and companies had found me. And, and I remember having like a, you know, a meeting, a, a call with, with Jewel in that room. And I don't know if she knew my circumstances or not. I probably mentioned them, but not in detail. But the point was that there was work to be done. You know, she was working on her on her fundraising at the time for her company Part Pick, and I wanted to find someone to fund it. And so she she uh, we just saw each other so many times and spent a lot of time commiserating and going through this journey together. And a lot of times it was distant. You know, it was she was on she was in Atlanta and I was on the West Coast, but. I always um, think of her as one of the quintessential founders that is the case study or the reasoning and the logic behind a fund like my fund, Backstage Capital, where we invest in underrepresented, underestimated people. She is the the reason behind that. And fast forward a few years later, and Jewel, who 
sometimes had to keep the lights on at her at her company by winning pitch competitions and getting 5,000 here, 25,000 there. Fast forward a few years after all of that determination and she uh, sold her company to Amazon. So you'll hear, hear all about that. You'll hear about the the good and the bad and the and the surprising and the triumphs, uh, the disappointment, all of it. You'll hear it. I'm so excited about getting to share this with you. And thank you, Jewel. Thank you for the things that people have seen you do and the things that people have not seen. And most of it is behind the scenes. We even go into a little bit about that, about our different styles. Uh, but because I think we're we're the we're different sides of the same coin. And we both have the same mission and we we move in different ways, but I think we're going towards the same outcome. So listen up. Um, this one's going to, this one's great. This is like uh, for anyone who is in the trenches right now with your company, you're going to get a ton out of this. You really are. Um, yeah, I'm just excited. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop gushing and we'll get right into it. The room where we recorded this interview was right in the middle of Essence Fest in New Orleans. So it was very loud outside of the room. We did our best uh, during the recording and in post-production to reduce that noise. But if you hear something that sounds out of place or you hear like a constant noise that sounds a little odd, that's what's going on. It's just the outside noise to the room that we were in at Essence Fest. All right, I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you on the other side. My name is Jewel Burke-Solomon, and I am an angel investor. Now let's get into it. You are Jewel Burks. Yes. How old are you? I just turned 30. Oh! <laughs> wow, 30 years old. How do you feel? How does it, does it feel different than the 20s? Um, a little bit, actually. Yes, it does. I, How so? I went out with my girlfriends here at Essence Fest and my lower back was hurting. There you go. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, this must be 30. When you need the BC powder, more so than not. <laughs> that's the that's the that's 30. Yeah. Is this drinking is drinking different for you yet? Um, yes, which is part of the reason why I try to keep it to a minimum yep. because it definitely feels different. For sure. Yeah, I haven't had a drink in two years. And Congratulations. I've thank been you. watching you tweet about that journey, and I yeah. think it's very inspiring. Thank you. You yes. know, I don't think about it too much. The times I think about it are Essence Fest situations, yeah, New Orleans. Yeah, it's like the drinks are flowing. Yes, or... Um, some some parts of Europe where that if you're not drinking there like in parts of Europe uh, alcohol is less expensive than milk mm -hmm. and you know when I'm in those situations or uh, uh, Pride weekend or things different things I'm just like I don't miss it and I almost I, I wonder how I was able to function for days after because mm -hmm. oh ooh yeah. and this heat too oh my goodness Out in this that's heat. that's Primary motivation for me to I can't do the day drinking out mm -hmm. on bourbon. That's that's I'm, the days have passed for Ooh. that for me. <laughs> bourbon Street, yeah. Well, let's talk about why you have to be at the top of your game because you are um, you you've been you've been in this game for several years. We're talking about Al Sharpton being in. You have been <laughs> in this game at only thirty. 
When did you start out in tech? When, 10 years. 10 years ago. Yeah, I started as an intern at Google 10 years ago. This okay. summer. And you live in Atlanta? I do. And were you an intern in Atlanta at Google? I, I was an intern in Mountain View, a headquarters. At, in Silicon Valley? Yes. So t- let's paint that picture. You were at, you, you went to college? Yes. Which I went school? to Howard University. Okay. And so you're at Howard and you're making a decision about where to intern. How does the decision to go to Google or to go to a tech company, how does that even come about? Yeah. So... I was one of the types of students that was very competitive about internships. That was my primary focus was to make a 4.0 and get a good internship. Okay. And uh, so my first year I interned at Goldman Sachs, summer after my freshman year I interned at Goldman Sachs, and I had an offer to go back for my sophomore summer, which came with a $10,000 scholarship. And like I said, scholarships, that was my, also my focus was getting scholarships because I didn't want my, my mother to have to pay for school. Um, so that was a great offer and I was excited about that, but I attended an event on campus that Google was hosting and I wanted, you know, actually when my friends invited me to go to the event and I was thinking, man, I didn't even know people worked at Google. I just thought it was a website. I didn't, I did not have a concept of it being a big, huge company where lots of people worked. I just was like, oh, I just use it to search. When I went for that dinner, I didn't know. Um, And then I had a great conversation with the recruiter and they were doing on-campus interviews the next day. And I actually, I give big credit to my art. So I was a painter growing up and even in college. And I took my art portfolio to my Google interview. And the interviewer asked me, do I have any special talents? And I was like, actually, boom, boom, I have this art portfolio. Um, And so we started talking about art and art history and that kind of, I guess she enjoyed that. So that pretty much got me my job at Google. <laughs> and are you saying that the strategy was to b- get the best internships because A, why? Why was it the strategy? I think it was because I had a desire to be successful. Um, and I thought that the pathway to success was to get a good internship, impress the folks that I was working with in my internship, and then get a good job, and then eventually become an entrepreneur. I always had an idea about being an entrepreneur. But I thought the building blocks to that were to get into a great company and work and do well and make a lot of money. And, and B, Google being sort of the poster child of, a, of a, what a tech company could be uh, successfully. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that was your, your strategy. What was your medium? What sort of art did you do? I did acrylic paintings primarily, mm-hmm. some watercolor as well. Um, I used to paint portraits and I used to think about ways to capture African-American life. Um, I did a lot of portraits of women and children. And so that was a lot of what my portfolio was. When did you start doing that? I started in the fifth grade. I had an art teacher named Miss McBride. And, you know, we did the kind of rotations where you do six weeks in, in the different arts. And I just took to painting. I got a paintbrush and she was like, wow, this is you're doing really well. And she allowed me to come over her house for extra lessons after school. And then, and then that just became my thing. And I annoyed my mother because I asked her for art supplies all the time. That was like, I didn't want anything else, no toys, nothing like that. I want art supplies. So I did that through middle school. And then I took all the AP art uh, portfolios that you could do. And then, yeah, I actually minored in it in school, in college. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of 
my passion. What was your major? Business. So I have to ask this. Do you still paint? I do. I have a painting in my living room right now that I'm, I have to finish before August 25th because that's my wedding anniversary. And it's a painting from the wedding because I hired a painter and he didn't show up. So (laughs) there's so many layers of, of black woman hacking in this. So because the the first thing that comes to my mind and I, you know, breaking, this is why I have a podcast is so I can do this. You, do you have paintings that you sell? I did. So that was my first business yeah. was in high school. I sold paintings. Um, and I have done a few pieces for people throughout the years. It used to be my primary Christmas gift for folks was paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, but just life and starting a business I got away from it a little bit, uh, but now I'm kind of picking it back up. So what I, uh, I've been, I, for the first time in my life, been collecting art. Yes, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm just getting started, but I do have a few pieces now, and it's just, I'm, I, and who knew? I, I didn't know I would become obsessed with that, but I am just, it's so fun. And so now I want to do a theme of what I, I don't, I don't want to just buy things for the sake of buying them mm-hmm. or collect them. I want to do a theme where I collect artists self portraits. Oh. Because and that and that be the thing that I have this collection of. So okay. can I commission something from you? Absolutely. Okay, we'll have a conversation about that oh, that's afterwards. So cool. that's yes, cool. I would love to do that. Okay. Um because that I you know I'm le- I've we have known each other for years. Yeah. How long have we known each other? If you can remember I, th- I think least- it was Five or six. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that for in this world, in the tech world, that's, that's a, a long, long time. time for me and yeah. you to know each other. And I'm already in these le- next last few minutes learning more than I knew about you. Isn't that a trip? <laughs> yes. Because I guess we never really talked about. We didn't about, sit down and talk. Yeah. Because we've always, anytime you and I have been talking, it has been strategy. Yeah. It has been how do we lift somebody up? How do we lift ourselves up? How do we move this movement mm-hmm. forward? It's always been that, or, uh, you know, licking our wounds. Right. You know, it's always commiserating. Stories, yes. yes, it's been that. And that, I mean, I think that's a, I, I, I think of, when I think of you, I think about someone who is strong in that way. And, and I wanted to have you on this show in particular, because I know that so many people came up to me while I was here and they, they listen to it and they, they get from it. So you are, if, if we, if the, you, we talked about photography before, you are probably the positive or negative to me, right? You're the kind of the opposite of me because you, when you make moves, you do them quietly. I'm It's I'm a different quiet. strategy. It's a different strategy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think we, you and I have the same goals. goals for we sure. have the same yeah. end goal mm-hmm. and we, we move in a different way. Talk a little bit about the strategy to to move in a, in a quieter lane mm-hmm. because you make some big moves. You're on this episode because you have made your first million and, and beyond. Mm-hmm. What is that? Is it a strategy or is it just your personality? I think it's partially strategy and it's partially my nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a quiet, reserved person just by nature. I think it, it's maybe a function of the fact that I grew up really as an only child until I was 10 and then I have younger brothers but most of my childhood I was kind of alone and you know making stuff um so I think I it's partly that and it's also I just I have such big goals that I want to achieve and I feel like even though I've been able to check some boxes I still have so many more things and I'm I am really 
calculated about how I talk about the things that I'm working on because I just want to make sure that it's it's buttoned up before mm-hmm. I scream yes. about it. And, I, and that's very different than how I operate because I think it's a misconception that everybody knows everything about me. That's a misconception. I'm always five steps ahead mm-hmm. of what the hype is. I've talked to you about this a yeah. lot. But it is, I can imagine seeing seeing what we're doing at backstage or what I'm doing, it's like a tightrope for you, right? Oh Do you get, you get scared? It's, you get scared so from the ground? <laughs> yes. And, yeah, I, and we've, we've talked about yeah. this, but I, oh my goodness. I, I, yes, it is. It's, it makes me nervous sometimes. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I, and there's so many layers to that. We could probably have a whole conversation about that. But I, I think about that too, from people who are, who are calculated and I'm calculated. I just have a, a, a I think this method, there has to be a, a method uh, maybe it's a it's MLK and Malcolm X, you know. Yeah, like which is is both both very, have to exist. Like, yes, exactly. To make the thing happen, mm-hmm. to to penetrate where you're trying to go. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about um, how you made your first million. You uh, publicly, we now know, sold your company to Amazon. Yes. So talk a little bit about Part Pick, which is the company that you founded. Yes, Part Pick is was my baby. So I founded Part Pick in 2013, January of 2013. I actually came up with the idea on 12-12-12, which I think is really interesting. I'm not like a numerology person, but I, I just always found that interesting that that was the day. Um, so Part Pick was computer vision for replacement parts. So we invented a new way to search for products where you could just take a picture and we tell you what it is and where you can find it. And our business model was to license that technology out to distributors, retailers, and manufacturers, and for them to embed it into their mobile apps and on their websites. And we built a huge database of parts, and we built a whole imaging operation around it. Um, it was it was a really cool company. I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, you go from 2010 mm-hmm. interning at Google. Yeah. To top of 2013, launching a company, that's just, that's fewer than three years yep. from when you understood that Google was even a tech company. Yeah, I was moving fast. Yes, <laughs> to getting to the point where you, you felt confident enough to start your own company. And not just any old company, but a company that had layers that even even after knowing you for years, I couldn't explain how you went from A to B to, to create it. Yeah. Why was it important that you start that company? So I left Google in 2012. So after a couple years there, I got homesick. I wanted to be closer to my family. So I moved to Atlanta and I started working for a company called McMaster Car, which is a big industrial parts distributor. And while there, I was managing in the call center. So I was the person who got a lot of the escalations when we sent the customers out the wrong parts. And so basically, I spent majority of my days talking to customers you know, people screaming at me about they they couldn't get the right thing for whatever their machine was down. They needed this thing. And and a lot of times they, they didn't have the words to describe what they were looking for. And sometimes they would say, I have the thing. I just need to get another one of it. Can I take a picture of it and send it to you? But we didn't have any real mechanism to do that. And then I also had a personal story where my grandfather, um, we have a family farm in Repton, Alabama, which... This super small town, but um, he had a tractor and it broke down in the middle of his harvest. And my grandfather is just the most dear person to me. And so he called me asking if I could help him find this part for this tractor. 
And I started looking for it and I could not find this part. And so the combination of kind of the personal story of me wanting to help my grandfather and what I was seeing at, on a business level, what was going on at McMaster, that's what led me to come up with this idea for Part Pick, where I thought there has to be a better way to search for these products. And I knew that given my experience at Google, I knew that you could use technology to solve these types of problems. Um, so that was really the start of it. So I'm really excited about our sponsors for this episode, Digital Ocean. I spoke at their employee lunch a few months ago in New York City at their headquarters, and I was just blown away by their team, by their diversity in the room, by the community that they've built, the curiosity uh, of thought there. It was really, really fun, and they are some really cool people. So when we partnered to sponsor and launch this podcast, I was stoked. Let me tell you a little bit about what they are and who they are and what they're offering us. So DigitalOcean is a cloud platform that makes it easy for startups to launch high-performance modern apps and websites with simple, predictable pricing, no gotcha pricing, and a UX that developers around the world love. You can stop worrying about your cloud hosting and storage bills and have more time to just focus on your business. We all need more time. So that's not all. They want to make it even easier for new businesses to launch apps in the cloud. If you're a startup, don't miss out on applying for their incredible Hatch Incubator Program. Over 2,000 startups in DigitalOcean's Hatch have received amazing perks, like a year's worth of free cloud infrastructure credits, special events, prioritized support, technical training, and more. Learn more about DigitalOcean's global startup community and apply for Hatch at do.co slash backstage. That's do.co slash backstage. And you, I think about so many people who come up to me and, and, and ask for capital to start a company or to continue their company, and they haven't gotten to the point where they've figured out the real pain point a real pain point mm-hmm. that is is meaningful and has a lot of tra- uh, a lot of potential to it not not that what they're working on is not important but it's um sometimes it's a carbon copy of something else yep. they haven't sort of had the operational experience that you seem to have had at Google and at the car you said it was a card parts industrial industrial parts, parts. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it wasn't like you were, you know, in the trenches for 20 years before this. There's a lot of that. But how important do you think it is for someone listening who wants to start something? Like what part of that story and your story do you do you want to instill in them on the knowing before you leap? Yeah, I think one of the most important parts of my story is the fact that I went into a job situation that I thought was a downgrade. I thought it was a big career mistake for me to leave Google, which is supposed to be the best place to work and go to a company that's, you know, a very old school, you know, they just sell parts. That's what they do for me to go to that company. And I felt like it was a mistake. But when I switched how I was thinking about the job and tried to think about how can I make this better? How can I how can I come up with a solution to make my job easier and make the lives of the people that are on my team, make their lives easier and our customers' lives easier. That's what led me to this idea for Part Pick, And that changed my life. So I think thinking about where you are today, what you have exposure to today, and seeing the problems that exist within 
where you have some level of expertise is what I often tell people when they're like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. And they throw out something that they've never had any experience with. It's like, well, what about looking at where you are and trying to create or, or examine the problems of where you sit right now mm. and create something for that? Examining it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it being goes, curious about it. Yeah, that goes back to this theme of yours, which I see is strategy, is thinking through things in a really good way, in a really thoughtful and meticulous way. Because you did major in business, so you did want to start something of your own at some point, it yeah. sounded like. And even even that, you know, having that love and that passion for art, but saying, no, that's not going to be my major. Was it your parents saying, you better not go into some sort of liberal? <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. My mom has been here with me all weekend. Mm-hmm. And she tells people a lot that she never had to tell me anything. Mm-hmm. I was always driven sort of on my own. And a part of it was um, my desire to uh, make my parents proud, really. But I, I, she, they didn't have to tell me to major in business. I was thinking about it because another part of my story that I think is important is that I had exposure to business from the time I could walk and talk. Both of my parents ran businesses when I was growing up. So I didn't have exposure to much else mm-hmm. besides Mm-hmm. business. And so that's that's probably the main reason why I decided to major in business. When I'm in uh, rooms with people that are very wealthy and they're deciding if they're going to invest in backstage and, and the companies that we're investing in, basically, um, I really remind them that when I'm talking about black and brown founders, especially, I'm not talking about people who are down and out uh, because sometimes that image is conjured up, mm-hmm. you know, when you say that. They think it's charity. They think it's this and that. One of the people I'm thinking about when I say that is you. Because you you didn't grow up, uh, you know, you grew up in a way that was, had you know, had p- your parents were very supportive and you had b- business uh, uh, role models. And I think... Sometimes I, you know, it's like Cosby Show, right? And you know, you think <laughs> well, about it, it's like the Cosby Show a little bit. Uh, don't think so, not quite. I no. mean, I, my parents were divorced, and I probably there's a lot of things about my life that I don't talk about publicly. Yeah. But, um, but I do for sure. I grew up in a in a loving family, in a family that has always been supportive of anything I wanted mm-hmm. to do. So for those for for that aspect, of, yes, it's always a little nerve wracking to say Cosby's now, but. That aspect, I mean, for sure. Fel- we'll just think of Felicia Rashad. <laughs> Felicia Rashad all yes. day long. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so you start the company in top of 2013. Mm-hmm. Were you scared? You know what? I was 23. So a lot of me jumping out there was just, I didn't have anything to lose. Mm-hmm. And I'd ask my mother if she would support me. Mm-hmm. And so really that was what I was thinking is, I'm going to try this and worst thing, worst case scenario, I'll have to move back in with my mom. That's like worst case scenario. And my mom has a house that I enjoy. So that's like not that bad. If you had a daughter, son who was 22, 23, would you want that for them too? Do you think they should kind of make those types of? I think that if they have the if they have done the things, set up the type of life where they don't have much to risk. So in my case, like I said, I cared about scholarships when I was in high school. So I got all the scholarships 
and I didn't, I don't have, I didn't have student loans. Mm. So I didn't have something that is a lot of 22, 23 year olds have where that's a real monthly thing that's on their mind. I didn't have that. I just had to worry about my living expenses, which I had moved to Atlanta. So cost of living was pretty cheap. So that's kind of how I think I was, that was a perfect storm of things for me to be able to jump out and start something. And I had data as well. So I was working in the industry. I was able to really figure out the business case for heart pick and understand, oh, this industry is losing billions of dollars every year on return orders. If I can invent something that makes it so that there's no such thing as return orders in this industry anymore, that is a billion dollar business. Mm. So I had both the personal, um, you know, wherewithal and ability because I didn't have that much to lose. And I had data from the industry to say, there's, this is a real business or could be a real business if I do it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those things didn't made it so that I wasn't super afraid. I think I was afraid to fail, but generally I had the mindset of, Meh, I'll just go back and go to work. And actually I was planning on going to school during the same time. So I was like taking the GMAT and prepping for going back to get my MBA. So this period when I was starting Pick, the alternative was that I was going to go to school. Mm. I wasn't going to be making money during this time period anyway. So were you making good grades in school? Yeah. Yeah. I, I asked you that knowing full well you were, <laughs> you did, because I would, it would surprise me if you weren't. I just think about like, this is a little side note. We're going to get into how, what happened next, but do you ever get mad <laughs> when you see sort of uh, people getting things not on merit, just getting things out of privilege or because you, it seems like you worked hard. Yeah. It seems like you thought things through so much, and also pr- most likely played by the rules yeah. and said, "Okay, this is a, this is how you play it." Do you ever get upset when you see people just? I think I do sometimes, just for a little bit. But I, th- one of the biggest things I've learned throughout the past ten years of working and building and, and really just fighting and trying to get what I think I deserve is that it's not fair. And it's really no, there's no benefit in dwelling on the unfairness of Mm -hmm. it all. Mm -hmm. And we live in a world where there are some people that are super privileged and they don't have to work as hard and they're going to get more. And that's, that is the way of the world. You just stay focused. Yeah. I have to just keep working. Yeah. Just stay in that lane. The, the point of this podcast is not to go through the ins and outs of the company, but I feel like that's an, a really great episode. And can someone listen to that story? Is there a podcast or a, a I think Side article? Hustle Pro okay. did, a great job, did a great podcast um, that explains more about the, the part pick story. Side Hustle Pro. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> so look up that episode from Jewel Burks. So let's skip ahead then. Okay. Were you looking to sell? No. Uh, what can you say then about the sale? Amazon comes knocking or did you go knocking or what can you say about this? Because when, when, usually when people sell companies, they, there's some documents they have to sign that say they can't talk about a particular part of it. Yeah. Is there anything that is not under an NDA or I'm assuming an NDA? Yes. Okay. So this is what I can say because I've shared this publicly mm-hmm. before. Um, I was not in the market to sell, but I was aware of the market conditions 
And what that means to me is I was watching other computer vision startups get bought up by big companies. Um, I was noticing that although we had a product that customers really wanted, they a lot of them actually weren't ready for it. So we were a hair early, I would say. I think Heartpick would have been a totally different business and outcome had we started maybe in 2015 instead of 2013. Um, And the reality of me being a Black woman founder and having difficulty raising money, which for the business that we were in, we really needed to be able to raise a bit more money. Um, So all of these things put together is why when Amazon approached me, I decided to sell, um, even though I wasn't in the market per se mm-hmm. to sell. Does that answer your question? It does. Okay. I, you know, I, I'm I'm not a, a journalist. I'm not an investigative <laughs> reporter, so I'm not going to try to press you. I, I I'd like to mine the gems of of how you did something, and mm-hmm. and hopefully it, it it can be relatable to some people. So they did come looking for you. This is the story of how <laughs> you know this conversation started. Um, It actually started because I was getting a little bit tired of all of the attention around Parpick being on me because I felt, honestly, I felt like I didn't really deserve it. Mm. It was my idea, but really I had put together a great team that was smart enough to help me execute the idea. And that that was no small feat. We we built technology that never existed before for the industry that we applied it to. So I really wanted the person who was leading the charge on the on the tech side to get more of the shine. And that was Dr. Nashley Cephas, who is also a black woman um, from Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, has her PhD from Georgia Tech. And so I really wanted her to become known as a thought leader in the space. So I started doing research on um, conferences that she could go and speak at. And so I reached out to a few conferences and my approach to them was, hey, I'm looking at the website. You have no women. You have no people of color. I have someone for you that fits nicely in the subject area that you want to focus on. You should invite her to come speak. And so that worked. So they invited her to come speak. Um, She did a presentation about how we calculate threads per inch and a screw with, you know, with our algorithms. And after her presentation, Amazon and a few other companies came up to her and um, said they really enjoyed what she spoke about and they wanted to learn more. And so that was the start of the conversations with Amazon. And this was one conference that she spoke at? One conference. We had talked to them before about um, a customer relationship um, so we we had some touch points there, but that was really the kickoff of the of the acquisition conversation. That's incredible, because uh, for many reasons. One, because again, your nature is to put shine on someone else when when it's due. Mm-hmm. And second, that this woman existed and she's this hidden figure mm-hmm. that Absolutely. is yeah. just not getting the recognition she deserves. Still to this day, is yeah. not getting the recognition. Say her name one more time. Dr. Nashley Cephas. Yes. And yeah. where is she today? What is she she's, doing? She's still at Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, she's now working on bias and AI. Right. So she is working to help make sure that Black faces are recognized when they should be and appropriately um, and making sure that Amazon is approaching that correctly. 
Well, it sounds like she's the right person to be Absolutely. working on that. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And then, and the, the, and hopefully in the sale she got, she got some, you know, other She could be of, on this podcast other as well. commission. Excellent. Yes. I love that. It's Arlen again. I'm going to pop in here because this is too important to miss out on. Nashley Cephas, Dr. Nashley Cephas. The way you find her is on Twitter at Nashley underscore S. That is N A S H L I E underscore S. And then uh, this little strategy piece that we're picking up on because there's so many things that we talk about women of color, people of color, uh, women in general, and the majority of the people listening will be that. Some won't. We talk about what we don't have and the things that we don't have. You you do have some things in your power. So you saw there's not the, there was a place to put her in, in the spotlight. Yeah. Probably weren't thinking all the way through to this could get us an acquisition. I, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of those things where do you recommend – that a founder listening today, how can they use speaking uh, on their on their expertise or their teammates' expertise? How mm-hmm. can they use that to their advantage in business? I think it's huge. I mean, I go back and forth with a lot of the founders that I work with now as a mentor, advisor, and investor, with them talking about balance, where you can't always be at everything. You can't always be on the road and at this event and that event because that's taking you out of running your business, but you can be strategic about where you show up and who's going to be in the room. And just like I looked at those websites and saw, you know, who the speaker lists were, I also saw who the sponsors were and who were, who was going to be there. That was a big part of me saying, okay, this conference and this conference and this conference, this is where we need to be because these are the customers that we want to talk to. These are the partners that we want to talk to. And I know that Nashley can speak in these rooms and get respect from these audiences. Um, and so that's why I reached out to mm-hmm. those specific was conferences. Was this a, a highly technical conference? Highly technical conference. And that's why you chose her to go. Yes. See, and I think that's what people, sometimes people don't do that. Sometimes people, w- once they figure out, okay, I should be there as the CEO, I should be in the room, they don't go that extra step in saying, this person on my team should, we should be strategizing to put yeah. them in the room. And I think that's really important that sweep we're going to get from, from that today. It is, yeah, it's huge because, Actually, another part of this was I was trying to change our positioning in the market from being a enterprise sales company to a deep technology company. We were always a deep technology company, but because my background was in enterprise sales and I had comfort around talking around sales and talking about the customers that we picked up, that's how we were positioned, which put us in a not the best position as far as fundraising because we were being compared against enterprise SaaS. When in reality, we should have been compared against the AI deep company, tech. deep tech companies. Yes, And so that was part of the rationale here as well was, okay, if I want to move us to be compared against AI, we need to be at the AI, deep technology, computer vision, machine learning conferences. So that was mm-hmm. part of it as well. Mm-hmm. That's great. And that's why, you, that's why you were the CEO. And that's why you can't take some of that credit. Um, I often say that I, uh, I can't do most of what our team, my team could do. Most of it, but I can. I, the credit I take is in in attracting them and fi- and and giving them the tools to hopefully be able to shine in that way. Yeah, and then get out of their way as fast <laughs> as I can and let them do it. Yeah, I try. Yeah. You know, it's tough sometimes. Um, and so w- once you made the decision, yes, we will sell. Mm-hmm. They they kind of pitched you a little bit. How'd that feel, first of all, to be pitched? 
did it feel because you had been fundraising yeah on that I was mar- in the middle of fundraising at that mm. time and actually I thought that they were going to invest initially I thought that was the conversation we were having and then it switched pretty quickly so when you asked me how does it feel it happened so fast I mean nationally spoke at that conference in May by June I can't remember the exact dates but by June the conversation had shifted and then I think it was maybe July. What year a, are we talking? We're talking 2016. Um, yeah, by July or so, we had a term sheet on the table and then, you know, went quickly into negotiations. And so this was happening really fast. And I was also mindful of the fact that most deals don't work out. A lot of these types of deals just don't, they fall at some point. And so it's like you're managing a sale of a company. That, and this is my first time, by the way, doing this. Mm-hmm. And I'm also trying to make sure that nothing drops off as far as the business itself, because I was mindful of the fact that this sale might not work out and we're still going to have to keep going if it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, wow. From May to October, 2016, that was, that whole time period is like, it was a crazy time. It was somewhat of a blur in my mind because it just happened. At the time, it felt like it was going by really slowly because it was painful. Um, but now when I think back on it, I was like, I'm thinking like that was super mm-hmm. fast and crazy. We just had Jeff Ulrich on the show and he talks about uh, even, you know, because we won't get into the to the numbers with yours because I know that you have an NDA, but even with the 50 to $60 million dollars, There was no time for joy or jubilation. It was a painful, I think he said seven months. Mm -hmm. And that's the number I'm hearing hearing a lot. It was this painful seven months of figuring it out and going back and forth. And then it happens. And then it's like, okay, whatever you just agreed to, you got to do. Yeah. (laughs) So whatever that is. So when someone is at home or is at work or commuting and they think that a sale of a company is a seamless and and b kind of this the 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 win. Mm-hmm. What can you say to that? Is is there work right after? Well, I can only speak to my experience in it, and for me, it was very bittersweet. I was happy because ultimately my goals were achieved. I wanted to build technology. I wanted to get the technology out to folks like my grandfather to use. And I wanted to pay back my investors and I wanted to make some money myself and, and make sure my team was taken care of. And so I was able to check the boxes on all of those things. But I was also sad because I didn't achieve my ultimate goal. I wanted Perfect to be a lot bigger. And I wanted, um, I just, there's other things I wanted to happen that didn't really happen. And so the morning after, I could barely get out of the bed. It's, it was the weirdest thing because a large sum of money hit my account and I was crying. I, mm. I was so sad. Um, and I've really, you know, I was, I was um, diagnosed with depression at that time, around that same time. And I struggled. Mm-hmm. I really, really struggled um, just coming to grips with what had happened Um, you know, I had a challenge to my identity because I was so used to introducing myself as CEO of PartPick and it didn't resonate with me to say I work at Amazon. That wasn't 
school to me. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's it's been now almost three years and I'm still struggling a little bit with even how I introduce myself because my team was, um, we all started working at Amazon, integrating the technology into the Amazon mobile app. And um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's been different. Um, so I would say for people that are thinking about that, there are, my number one piece of advice would be to talk to people who have done it before, because there are a lot of things that one is really not publicly available information. And because acquisitions are so varied as far as how the deals are set up and what's expected and required, you know, post acquisition, it's good to just crowdsource information about what you can potentially expect. Although it's going to be a very individual experience depending on how long you've been in business and why you did your business and, you know, if it's beneficial for you from a monetary perspective and what that looks like, you know, it's a whole nother set of things when people know you sold your business and now you're talking to family members you've never met before. <laughs> and it's Word. A, <laughs> so it's, 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 it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, thank you for sharing that because that's, that's really, it's going to help someone. It's going to help a lot of people because, um, you know, we're chasing, someone's all, we're always chasing something. Mm -hmm. We're chasing something. You're chasing something. I'm chasing something. And for a lot of people, what they're chasing is that payday, mm -hmm. uh, building this company so I can sell it and make that money and da, da, da. But sometimes I try to look at people in the eye and tell them like, these could be the best years of your life, <laughs> even though it's tough. Even Because I said that to myself a lot. Um, I would never want to go back to some places ever. But cer certain things are just, you think about the magnitude of what the problems are today and what the stakes are today. And you kind of long for the past. Oh, yeah. And so uh, whatever you're in, whatever you're going through right now, it's not to say that it's good that you're going through it, but just remember that it could, it could and may possibly get worse. Yes, that is always <laughs> that's a not, possibility. It's not very hopeful, but it's like it's realistic and you kind of can control that from this point on. Do you ever feel a um, um, responsibility as a, as a black woman role model who, who is visible even though you don't try I'm to quiet. be? Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you ever feel a responsibility that you don't want or do you, do you kind of find an honor in that? I find honor in it. I think I'm a faith-based person and I feel like this is part of my responsibility here on earth is to be positive, show people a way that they may have not seen before. Um, I tell people my ministry is, is showing folks how you can grow in business and achieve goals in business. That's, you know, I think that's what I've been placed here on earth to do. And so I feel, I feel happy that I've been able to, in some regards, do that. And, you know, I was here at Essence and this young lady came up to me and she said, I know you, I, I've been following you and I'm, I work in this job and I don't really like it, but I see a problem. And that's the part of your story that resonated with me. And I think I want to I want to do something and I'm not sure how to get started. And I just wanted to get your advice on that. And I talked to her for 10 minutes, but that's exactly what I want. You know, that's what I want is to inspire other people to just do it, whatever it is that they want to do um, and build something that they can 
you know, pass on to their families or use to change their communities. That's really what I think I'm purpose to do. So I feel, I feel happy about that. And if you're uh, faith-based as well, or want to talk about how that is kind of how you bring that or don't bring that into the business world, our very first episode was with Dr. Pamela Jolly. I listened to that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about that towards the end of the episode. We get into that and I, I really enjoyed that conversation. So if you liked, if you have any affinity there, go, go check that out. Uh, as we wrap up, what I'd love to talk about is that woman who came up to you today or came up to you at Essence. You have now been able to make investments. You mentioned earlier investments in other people. Yeah. You are a, a an investor in Backstage Capital in my fund. And I mean, just the this full circle moment of that. I, I still have a flashback of being in a hotel room in 2014, being on the phone with you talking about raising money for your company. And I'm over here with no money thinking about how do we get capital to Jewel so that she, because I knew what you had, what you had as a person and what you had as a product. Mm -hmm. How do we get her capital so that she can, you know, be successful? And then a few years later, just a handful of years later, you're able to come back and invest and backstage and that that's powerful that's powerful and yeah. it fuels it fuels fuels me i don't know how it feels to other people but that's important you're able to advise mentor and invest in some of the companies how does that work and 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 how do you enjoy that i love it and it's a really big learning experience for me um actually i did it as a coping mechanism from when i sold my company i felt like I don't feel good. I don't feel good. I feel sad. What can I do to feel better? And I put a post on Instagram that said, if any founder wants to meet, I'm available for breakfast at the gathering spot in Atlanta. And so many people reached out to me from that. And that really has been healing for me. I've been able to listen to new business ideas. I've been able to learn about new industries just from meeting with people and learning about what they're working on. Um, I've been able to really dig in with companies that are making a big difference. And I've learned, you know, from making investments now what it's like to be on the other side of the table and really gotten different perspective about some of the things that I experienced and understanding, okay, well, I didn't like that that investor told me no, but now I kind of understand a little bit better why, you know, what was the reason why. Um, and so it's been great. I, I, I love this work and I, I'm excited to continue to do it and to do it on an even bigger scale. Um, yeah, it's it's awesome. And what about the future? What um, I've always I, I keep saying that you're going to be the mayor of Atlanta, uh, <laughs> and in however many years you wanted. Do you have any political aspirations or any other aspirations that I didn't know you were this magnificent artist? So what sort of what's what's in the Hidden horizon? Talents. What's at forty? Yeah, so. You know, what's funny is you said that and a few other people have said that to me, but I think, I don't know about any political aspirations, but I do really think a lot about what's, what are the best ways to make the biggest impact? And I think a lot of it does go back to policy and a lot of it does go back to kind of the, the root problems that exist and how do we solve those problems? And I think about it even now being an investor in companies and, and thinking like, man, it's great that I can give this company, you know, $25,000, but is that really doing anything for the world? So these are the conversations that I have mm -hmm. all the time. I'm thinking about this, like, 
what could I really be doing um, to make a bigger impact and, to, and for it to be significant and not just, you know, helping one company, but helping actually the fact that we have a wealth gap in this country that is just outrageous and it's, it's continuing to grow. You know, what can I do to affect that? Um, so I don't know about Is this your presidential declaration? No, cannot. But, but, but really just thinking about, you know, what is it that, that I can do while I have time on this earth to, to change things? What about being an, an aide to um, the uh, Democratic nominee, if you are Democratic? What about being an aide? to them in the financial because that they're I mean they're reaching out yes. they understand that they need to be talking to people yeah. and so I mean I don't know if you've been reached out but I've been talking to Warren and Pete and all these people yeah I'm quiet so they don't know to reach out to me I guess but, but I would, do want would, to, I would, would love that? to I would love to be a part of that conversation because I I've you know watching the debates and reading up you know reading up on the agendas and really trying to discern who will be best for what goals I have in mind and, and what I think is important for the people that I want to serve. Um, so I'm really interested in that conversation. Okay. So, you know, they yeah. gotta slide them over there to me to talk to. I'm, I'm more than happy. To I think, I think that's a great start because what I see is I'm going to become your agent. We're going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to, we're going to first, well, have you thought about doing a commentary, like being on television? Ooh, um, no, no, not really. That wouldn't be your cup of tea. I think, that one thing is, and you could probably tell by this podcast, I think my brain goes faster than my mouth can get the words <laughs> out. So I would have to get some coaching to be able to do TV oh, like that. Well, let me tell you. Well, first of all, we're not talking about live, you know, necessarily <laughs> live stuff. And we're also, that may be happening to you, but that's not how it's coming across. And coaching, you seem very coachable to me. Oh, yeah. You seem very coachable. So I think that, you know, you're talking about impact is one of the reasons I'm so loud. I think that you can take what you're doing now and have impact around the country by being on one television show, by being on one, being a commenter, a commentator on something. If not that, then the aid thing, let's, let's get you, let's talk about it because there are some things that you want to achieve in your life that um, I think the button, the, the weight can be pushed down a little bit further, yeah. faster by just a little bit of, you take a little bit of my uh, gumption <laughs> and my a little bit of my vanity. Yeah. No, but you know what's so funny to mm. me about that, you saying that, is because when we met, you had this crazy stage fright. I had and stage I fright till I was 30. And I remember trying to give you a pep talk about going on stage at Forbes. Yeah. And now the way that you have just completely just suppress that. I don't know if it's still there at all or not, but that is so inspiring to me because I'm like, dang, I was just talking to Arlen a couple years oh. ago about getting on stage and now she has been on all the stages. And that's, that is inspirational to me because I, I'm like, ooh, I don't know. I don't want to get out there too much. Um, so, but I know that's something that I need to, to work on for sure because I do believe that I have a really unique experience and I care a lot about people and particularly about Black people in our place in the world. Um, and I do want to, you know, get out there so that I can help affect change in that way. I've got a plan. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. 
I oftentimes do a bonus episode next to the the episodes that come out. Okay. I'm going to do a bonus episode about stage fright. Okay. Because I used to be the person, that, and it, and it doesn't come from somebody telling you to do it. That's one thing that I would have never done it. Somebody telling me to do it. Yeah. So I'll do a bonus episode on stage fright when this comes out soon. Hey, it's Arlen. Hope you're enjoying this so far. I just wanted to let you know that I did, in fact, record a bonus episode about public speaking, and you can listen to it right now. And the second part, and more importantly, um, we will strategize about how you can have impact in a comfortable way. Okay. That it works for you. Yeah. And uh, we'll meet in the middle somewhere okay. with it, because I think there is definitely, there's the canvas. I see a canvas. When I, <laughs> you know, I see that when you're talking about catalyzing someone. Um, so. I, I really appreciate you stopping by. And um, did, did you you saw Michelle last night, right? I did. Oh, yeah. my gosh. She is just. She is just. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. She is just. Uh, I just, I love her so, so much. And I met her once. Yes. And she told me she was proud of me. And I just, I've cried right there standing in front of her. I mean, she yeah. is just, she embodies everything that black women are and she's just she's so graceful she's funny mm-hmm. i just i love her i don't know if podcasts will exist in 25 years but if they do someone come back and tell and let me say this right now i think at 55 and at 40 and these different ages of her inflection points people will be saying the exact same thing about you and i think at the same level i really do arlen put it down <laughs> put it in stone thank you so much Okay, so if you've been listening to the episodes since we started, you probably think that right about now I'm going to say the same old thing uh, as I leave, but I'm going to switch it up a little bit because this episode is episode 10, so it's officially the official end of the Digital Ocean Sponsorship, and I just wanted to thank them again. They supported this podcast before any episode was ever recorded. So they just basically based it on their uh, belief in what this could be. And it has gone way above and beyond even my wildest dreams for it. So I just really want to thank them because they put their money where their mouth is. And so thank you, Digital Ocean. Hopefully some of you have checked out the website that we talked about and have join the hatch program and over the next few weeks and months and years i hope you continue to check out their their work i just want to say thank you and um let's see what happens next your first million is produced and edited by anna eichenauer and senior producer brian landers additional audio mixing and mastering by alfred rook hamilton additional production by chacho valadez executive producer arlen hamilton Get in touch with me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A R L A N was here. And I'll see you there.